0: I'm a little hesitant to share this with you because I'm afraid you're gonna judge me but um, I'm reminded that uh, this is a community of grace this is a safe place to share uh, I hope but uh, I'm guilty uh, I am guilty because I am a sucker uh, for any title of a blog or a magazine that says something cheesy like ten uh, steps to the to the to the next best you or whatever or maybe it says something. Like four things dads can do to have their kids be obedient tonight. Uh, or maybe it says something like how to get a six-pack in six minutes. Or my favorite, maybe it says something like this, how to eat cheeseburgers all day and, uh, and still remain the same size. Uh, something like that. I'm guilty of those things because I, I, I want instant change. I want a quick fix But I know it can never happen, but it doesn't keep me looking uh, at those little secrets and tips thinking, oh, maybe I can just find the secret this time. We all want to change, as Brandon was saying earlier. There's nobody in here uh, that wants to remain where you are uh, spiritually for the rest of your life. None of us want that. And sometimes we just kind of give up in defeat and maybe we run away from the church and maybe that's been your story. Or other times we try to work our way to God. And we find that we we really can't work our way to God either, and so we kind of end up in this place of how do we how do we grow in God? How do we how do we take the next step in God? And if you've got that question, like I do, every single day, uh, this is going to be a good sermon for you today. Uh, I think we are going to recognize ourselves uh, in Nehemiah ten today uh, because this is exactly what the the Israelites do. We want to change. We want to prove ourselves to God. We want to prove ourselves to others, and we want to prove ourselves. To ourselves but the question isn't do we want to change? The question is, how will we change? How will we experience change, how will we experience renewal in our lives? As Brandon was saying earlier, revival in my life, the way that I describe it, is, is kind of this, this series of, of peaks and then it's followed by a valley and these peaks that I'm always seeking to try to get to the peak. and I'm seeking the moment of revival when I feel close to God. And the problem is, is when I don't feel close to God, my emotions and my feelings, when I'm in that spiritual valley, tell me that I'm not close to God. But the issue with this in the Bible is that the Bible says that God doesn't change. So there must be something wrong with my thinking. And as I've looked into the scriptures, what I've discovered is that what we're really after is renewal. We're after renewal. We want to be renewed in the grace of God. We want to be renewed and reminded about who God is, and that's what empowers us to to live in Christ. And so the big idea of where we're going today, and, and every week we try to boil down the message to one big idea. And the big idea this week is this, the life of continuous renewal requires continuous surrender to Jesus. So what's that mean? We can't get away from Jesus and grow spiritually. You can't get away from him. It's not like you, you can go on to better things other than the gospel, other than Jesus. You can't get away from him. So let's think about the context of where we're at in the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, and it's, it's, it's kind of a story. It's a narrative of God's people coming back home from exile. They were in exile because of their disobedience. They were pushed out of their land, pushed out of their home. And uh, it's the story about them coming back. And, and in Nehemiah 8 and 9, we, so in Nehemiah like 4 and 5, we read that they start building the walls of Jerusalem, Right? And one of the things that we said as they were building those walls that while we think about the book of Nehemiah and think about this wall that's being built, what's really going on is God is rebuilding his people's hearts. He's rebuilding their hearts to, to, to place their faith in him and nothing else. And then last week, Hayes Cargo was with us and he said, you know, basically what happened was they came back, they built the walls and then, and then Ezra, the priest, comes out and he reads the law to them. Some of these people haven't heard God's word in 70 years. So those that aren't 70 years old probably have never heard God's word. And so they have like this big group Bible study uh, for several weeks, six hours a day. They're in the word together, hearing, they're soaking it up and they rejoice, but they also weep. They rejoice because they see that God is real, that he's holy, and they weep because they see that they're not. And so this is where we pick up today. Uh we, we pick up today uh, in, the, in the, kind of, kind of the, uh, after they've read this, after they've looked at this, we, we pick up with what their decision is moving forward. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn it to Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to look at 938 and then uh, some of chapter 10 as well. So if you wouldn't mind, stand as we read uh, God's word together. Here's the word of the Lord. Because of all this, this is the people, we make a covenant, a firm covenant in writing, On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And uh, because Megan's not up here, I'm not going to read all those names right now. But uh, they're important names. So we're going to skip to verse 28 now. The obligations of the covenant are this. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers their nobles and they enter into a curse and an oath and what is that curse and oath to walk in god's law that was given by moses the servant of god and to observe and do all the commands of the lord our uh, the lord our lord and his rules and his statutes we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or, or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We will also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, the regular burn offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feast, and the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. We the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it to the house of our God according to their father's houses at the times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate, notice notice that theme, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God The priest who minister the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, and as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, the priest to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is in the Levites who collect the tithes and our towns where we labor, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes of the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are as well as the priest and minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Let's pray. Fathers, we read this. It seems like a lot of details. Details about how they're going to obey you this time. Father, we like to give you a lot of details about how we're going to obey you too. And time and time again, what we find is that we fail to obey you. God, I pray that you would flood our hearts with the grace and truth that comes with knowing your son Jesus this morning. That we wouldn't say, hey, we don't have to be obedient because we can never be obedient, but we would say, we want to obey you because you love us. So teach us your word this morning. Teach us what it means to be renewed by your spirit. Father, you have never given up on us. And we remember that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. So what's happening in Nehemiah 10 here? So Israel's just come back to God's word. Hey, and listen, they're taking it serious this time, all right? They've come back to the word. No more sinning, all right? They ain't sinning no more. That's what they're saying. Okay, there's, there's all these areas of our life that, are, that have kind of been out of balance. We've, we've come back. We're finally in Jerusalem. We are not sinning anymore. That's not going to happen this time. So they're so serious that they make a, a, a devotion. They make a covenant. It says they enter into a curse, an oath. So what they're saying is if we don't live up to every word of your law, we're cursed. We're cut off. We deserve to die. They don't give themselves much wiggle room, do they? They're kind of, it's, it's like they just kind of come back from the, the youth group, you know, camp, right? I mean, they're pumped up. They're going to obey God this time. They're never going to sin again. They're never going to sin again so they make this covenant and say, you know, we're going to do it this time. We're going to do it right. So there's three areas that they kind of identify that they're really kind of, they've fallen off the wagon on. And the first one is, okay, we've got to marry God's people. Okay, we've been, we've, been marrying, uh, we've been marrying the, the wives and the, the husbands of foreign lands. And what's happened in that? Well, what's happened in that is the same thing that happened to King Solomon. Uh, in 1 Kings eleven three, 3, it says, For surely they will turn your heart after other gods. It's exactly what's happened. They've, they've, they've been unequally yoked, spiritually speaking. A, a, a regenerate f- a follower of God, an Israelite, is marrying someone who's not an Israelite. It's a big problem. Because the two can't become one flesh when they're unequally yoked. Uh, The second thing is this. They've not been honoring the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been just like any other day. And one of the things that set God's people apart since the, the, the history of the world has been that they rest one day. While they could go out and work, they rest. And they rest and it's a sign of trust and faith in God. When the rest of the world is working, they are resting because God is working on their behalf. That's what they're reminded of. And the third thing is this, hey, we got to maintain God's house. So, so, you know, the Levites are depending upon the, the tithes and offerings of the people, the, 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 the maintenance of the temple, the showbread, the sacrifices, all of those things are depending upon the people actually giving money to the temple. They've neglected that. And so what's happened is the, the worship of God has suffered because of that. So they're realizing all these things and they're saying, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do it right this time. So have you ever had a time in your life where you've kind of been overwhelmed by God's grace? I kind of made that allusion to, to church camp because that was my experience. I was like a senior in high school. And man, I came back uh, from this, like, this retreat and I was so, I was so jacked up and I, ex- I was excited. I was, I was driving home in my four-speed Kentucky blue Toyota Tercel 1992 car I was driving down highway 127 I can remember it like it was yesterday and man I'm just full of the spirit I look up and and, you know it was we had these things called cds I don't know if you guys remember those or not Uh, we had these things called cds and on my visor I had one of those little cd things and I looked up there and there was like explicit lyric cd after cd in there I just rolled down my window and I'm like god you know what I don't need this stuff anymore I start throwing them out the window and then all of a sudden like oh man I need to turn no I didn't turn around I just kept going but um You know, I'm just, I'm kind of cleaning out the closet of my life. I'm so stoked about what God is doing in my life. I'm sharing the gospel with everyone that I know. And I'm probably coming across as pretty abrasive, if you know what I mean. I'm coming across pretty strong. And then something happens about three weeks later. Something terrible. And like my zeal for the Lord just kind of starts to slow down. You know what it was? I realized I was still a sinner. I realized I was still jacked up. I realized I was still messed up, that I still needed God's grace in my life. You know what happens in Nehemiah 10? They make this covenant, uh, this oath, that they're going to obey God this time. They're going to get it right this time. The same thing that you and I have done before. I'm going to do it this time, God. I'm not going to live this life of sin anymore. You know what Nehemiah 13 is about? The same thing that Nehemiah 10 is about, because they've already fallen off the wagon. So next week, what I'm going to do is we're going to look at these three topics, uh, marrying God's people, entering God's Sabbath rest, maintaining God's house. We're gonna look at those three things next week. But for this week, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to talk about what it means to experience continual renewal in our lives. Because I think this is a a topic that we really need to address. I think a lot of us um, see the gospel, so the good news about Jesus as this launch pad. So we come to God, we come to Jesus, we come to church, We walk down the aisle, we pray the prayer, and what happens is God kind of, his grace kind of shoots us into orbit, and so we can live this spiritual life now, and what happens is we think that the longer that we walk with God, the less that we should need Jesus, where the Bible tells us the exact opposite thing. The longer that we walk with God, the more we realize we need Jesus because the awareness of our sin grows and swells. And we say, oh man, I need Jesus more than I did yesterday because I see more of my sin today. So Jack Miller uses this illustration of the launch pad versus the foundation. And I would conclude that we should see the gospel, the grace of God, as a foundation of our lives that holds everything else together. That we we continue to come back to the gospel. So the foundation of a house, there's never a moment in the life of the house where the house doesn't depend on what? The foundation. We've always got to depend on the foundation. So today we're going to look at what it means to experience continuous renewal. And the big thing about this is we've got to continue to come back to Jesus. We've got to continue to surrender our lives to Jesus. There's never a day in the life of a Christian where we say, hey, I don't really need Jesus anymore. I got this, dude. We never hit that moment. And so let's look at three things about this as we get into it. The first thing is, is we've got to understand the, the purpose of covenant. What does covenant mean? What's, what is the covenant of grace that God has given uh, to us? So in Nehemiah 10, uh, believing Israel is already in covenant with God. God is already, you read in Nehemiah 9, over and over and over again, if you want to look at it this afternoon or remember from last week, over and over and over again, Nehemiah 9 says that God was merciful and he showed them grace. As he's kind of given the history of the people of God. They thought they could do it on their own, they failed, God was merciful to them. He keeps coming back to them time and time again, the same way that he does to us today. And so so we see this happen over and over and over again. I think it's helpful for us to understand what that covenant actually is, this, this, the fact that God has bound himself to us, and that we are able to have relationship with God through meeting the conditions of this relationship, because that's what a covenant is. There's, there's obligations and there's blessings. So there's things that you say you're going to do, and then if you hold your end of the bargain, you get the blessings of the covenant, right? It's, we, we use the illustration of a, like, a, like a contract on a house if you have a mortgage payment. You know, you've got a mortgage, and so, you know, you've agreed to make the payments. And in the blessing of that is that you get to live in a house before you have all the money to pay for it, right? But if you stop making the payments, they're, they're not going to let you keep living in the house, right? They're going to kick you out of the house. It's the same way with a covenant. So let's read uh, from the, this is actually the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a, we use like uh, historical church documents because the Westminster Confession of Faith is kind of a compilation of what we believe uh, as a church. And this is kind of a segment out of it. It's a truncated version we're going to look at and just kind of kind of unpack this because it's so uh, uh, heavy hitting here. So I'm going to read this for us and I'm just going to unpack it as we go. It says this, uh, chapter 7, The distance between God and the creature is so great that although, that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, Yet they can never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary uh, condescension on God's part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. So what's that saying? We can't have relationship with God unless God comes to us first. So some of you in here have been running from God. Right now you're running from God. You don't even know why you're here this morning, but God does. You've been running from God. God is not, he's not, he's not left, he's not, he's not changed himself. He is meeting you this morning. He's meeting us every day that we wake up and we breathe, it's grace. So the only way we have a relationship with God is that he comes to us. He, we love because he first loved us, right? We don't make him love us because we love him. We love because he first, so God condescends, he, he, he makes himself known to us. This is, this is how you could describe what a covenant is. It goes on to say this, the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. So, okay, Adam and Eve, you're gonna live, you're never gonna die, you're gonna have a perfect relationship. But the only thing you gotta do is you always gotta obey me perfectly. I, I got this. Well, you and I know the story. Genesis 3, what happens? The fall happens. It goes on to say this. Man, by his fall... Having made himself incapable of life by the covenant, the Lord is pleased to make a second covenant, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation of Jesus. So what do we got to do to get this is the question. He, he, he says, I'll give you grace. You don't, ha- you, you don't have to live up to the standard of obedience that Adam and Eve did. So, so what do we got to do to get this? That's the question, right? What do we got to do to get salvation? Well, the obligation is faith, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life his Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit do? It makes them willing and able to believe in God. So covenant describes our relationship with God. So let me ask you this. In the the garden, remember that the serpent comes and he tempts Adam and Eve, right? And they give in, right? They, They don't... They don't resist the enemy. They give in to the temptation that's presented there in front of them. And uh, so then I I wanna look at what God, what is God doing in that moment? He runs away and he hides hides from them. He he distances himself from them, right? No, not at all. In Genesis 3.15, I wanna read this verse for you. God first comes to the enemy. He, He comes to Adam and Eve right after this. He comes to the enemy, he comes to the serpent and he says this, I will put enmity... Between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says something profound. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So you're thinking, man, this is kind of weird language. What's going on here? Theologians call this the, the first gospel, the proto euangelium you, you can share that with your friends. They'll be impressed, I promise. So what's happening there? We're well, saying that the enemy is gonna he's gonna strike the heel. Of humanity, we're going to suffer. Jesus is going to be. Uh, Jesus is going to be crucified. Things are going to look pretty dim. But ultimately, Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to. He's going to. He's going to put him under his feet. It's. A, it's a. It's a promise of the gospel. It's. And so, what we see in the rest of the Bible is God making His way toward that coming to fruition. That's what we would call the covenant of grace. So It's this this covenant that God makes. And so how did people in the Old Testament, how were they saved? How did they come into this covenant with God? They were perfectly obedient, right? Never. There are are just as big a sinners in the Old Testament as there are in the New Testament and in the church today. Sinners are sinners are sinners. And all of you struggle with different types of sin. And a lot of times we just try to judge one another on the most appropriate types of sin, Right? We're all sinners. That's the one thing we have in common in this room right now. And the only way that we enter into covenant and relationship with God is through faith. So Genesis 15, 15 6 is like the, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Many of you know that verse, John 3.16. It's a very popular verse. It talks about salvation. Genesis 15 6 is kind of like that in the Old Testament. It says, And he believed the Lord. He's talking about Abraham. Abraham, pagan joker, right? From the land of Ur. He's he's pagan. God draws him to himself, promises him this land, and promises him the offspring uh, that he can never have. And that the world would ultimately be changed through one of his sons. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there's one way and one way that people are saved. In this room, in the Old Testament, in the history of the world, it's by faith, by grace through faith, by faith through grace. There we go. So it's and the book of Ephesians tells us that. We're saved We're saved through having faith in one that will stand in our place and obey perfectly for us. There's no other way. We can try to lower the bar and try to jump over it and we realize, how oh, we're just lowering the bar. We're just trying to make ourselves appear better than we are. That's the only way that we do it. And so... What's really important, what I really want you to hear from this first point is this is that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are already in covenant with God. You're already in this covenant of grace. There's nothing you need to do to get yourself back in. And and when we realize we're sinners, our temptation is to think that God has left us. It's it's to think that God, God, he's, he's ashamed of us, he's embarrassed about us. But we're forgetting that Jesus never changes. God never changes. He hasn't left us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what you're dealing with today, if you have faith in the Son of God that he was crucified on your behalf, that he bore the punishment of your sin that you deserved, you have faith in the man Jesus Christ that lived in your place, died in your place, and resurrected from the dead, then you're in this covenant of grace. Our growth, then, is, is not for justification. It's not are we in or are we out of the kingdom. Our growth is for sanctification. God is making us more into the image of Jesus. And so I think when we see it through these lenses, what we see is that, that God is already well pleased with us because when he looks at you and he looks at me, you know who he sees? His son, Jesus. He sees, he sees Jesus in you because you have believed in faith that Jesus died in your place, and he lives in your place. So he doesn't see all the things that you can't forget, all the sin that you've committed. We keep coming back. We keep surrendering to Jesus. So that's the first thing. It's really important to remember that. And I think it's important maybe to uh, to think about this uh, this covenant, maybe like an ecosystem. So some of you maybe are familiar with biology. Maybe others of you not. Look at that cute little picture there. So a food chain is, a, is an ecosystem, right? So what happens? There's a, there's a flower that's grown. There's a caterpillar that eats the flower. Frog that, you know, eats that cute little caterpillar. Snake that eats the frog. An owl that eats the snake. And the, uh, the owl eventually dies, right? And it is, it is the owl's, um, <clears throat> it's his decomposing body that then gives nutrients to what? The flower. So when we think, about the, we think about this covenant of grace, I want you to think about how God grows us, that God brings us into relationship, this ecosystem of grace, and, and what happens is, is that his gospel gives us life. The grace of God gives us life because it shows us that we could never live the life that God demands of us. And you know what God's law does? The same thing that it did in uh, Nehemiah chapter eight and nine. It decomposes us. It breaks us down it breaks us down to nutrient to the nutrient-rich soil that God can grow us up in the gospel. And a lot of times we think, man, I don't wanna hear about God's law. I don't wanna hear about what he requires of me. We think, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to read that anymore. I know I'm a sinner. When we come back to God's law, we come back to God's word, and we line ourselves up with it, we see that we can't do life on our own, and it drives us to Jesus. So within that ecosystem of grace, Let's look at the role of the law and the role of the gospel. So the first, let's look at the role of the law here. So um, I, think it's, I think this is one of the mysteries to, to Christians a lot of the times. It's like, hey, what do we do with the Old Testament law? I mean, Jesus has come. To, what do we do with it anymore? Do we just cut it out? Should we just bring a New Testament Bible? You know, or, well, how do we read the, the Old Testament? Are we supposed to obey it? I mean, how does this work? Um, Martin Luther and John Calvin have kind of dubbed the roles that the law plays in the life of a Christian. So the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, what role does that play in our lives? Well, it's three images that I want to give you. Okay, the first is a curb. The second is a mirror. And the third is a guide. So as we read the Old Testament, we think about the law. This is how God brings us to Jesus as we look at ourselves. So let's look first at the curb. Uh, There's a a book written in in the 50s. Uh, by William Golding called The Lord of the Flies. How many of you guys have read The Lord of the Flies? It's like required reading for school, right? Probably, maybe not. Lord of the Flies, so you're familiar with the book, maybe even more familiar with me, but basically what I remember of the premise of the book is that it was an attempt to trace the defects of society back to the defects of human nature. I mean, it is kind of a sad ending, right? It shows how depraved humanity really is, right? And if you haven't read it, maybe read it. It's a a good book. It's a classic. Um, And so what we see from that is that while humanity is like totally depraved, we're we're sinful people. And we notice that every time that we look at the news and every time that we really consider what's going on in our heart, we realize that we're sinners. We don't need to be really convinced of that. We just need to, to be honest about it. While we're totally depraved, we're not absolutely depraved. So for instance, what the law does, even physically speaking, the law, some of you drove here and you were on Sugarloaf Parkway and you know that the, the speed limit on Sugarloaf Parkway is what? 45. Yeah, that's right. It's 45. And so, you know, some of you might want to go 95 on Sugarloaf Parkway because it's nice, four lanes, you know, maybe you could run through the red lights, you could go 95, but you're only going to go 55 because you know that if you go 95, you're going to jail. Right? So the law curbs sin. We're not as bad as we could be because we know that there are consequences. So we're not. everyone's not driving 95 on Sugarloaf Parkway. They're probably driving 54 because they know if they go 55, they might get pulled over. So the law is a curb. The law is also a mirror. So what's a mirror do? A mirror tells us the truth about ourselves, doesn't it? I can remember... Uh, my, my mom basically uh, raised me. My, my father's in the picture, but I was uh, an only child to a single mother uh, most of my childhood. And uh, I can remember driving down the road one day, and my mom listened to country music. Hey, country music fans, I love you guys. I'm not as much of a country music fan anymore, though. We were listening to Garth Brooks, and, you know, I'm singing along growing up in Kentucky. And, and she looks over at me, and she goes, honey, you sound just like Garth Brooks. And so I started getting this big head, like, dude, I'm like Garth Brooks. I'm the next, like, country star. I'm like eight years old. And so one day, like, I got a recorder, and I recorded myself. I got a mirror, right? And I'm, like, listening to my, you know, blame it all on my room. I'm, like, listening to myself so singing, and I'm thinking, Mom, you are a, you're a complete liar. I sound nothing like Garth Brooks. It was a faulty mirror. But the law of God is a mirror. It's a mirror to our lives. We are, when we look at God's word, this is why the people in, uh, in Israel, the, the, the Israelites, look at God's word and they start weeping because they realize that they are not the people that God created them to be. And you in your life, you, you do the same thing. You look at God's word, you're around God's people, and you realize that you're messed up. You realize you're jacked up. And you know, we're tempted to run. Run from God's word, run from God's people, because we think that we've got to hide. But God meets us. So we read Romans 3.20, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So there's something that's necessary about the law in our life. And we even read with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I haven't come to abolish the law, I haven't come to get rid of it, but instead I've come to do what? Fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill the law. The law is still necessary in our lives, church. It's necessary for us to look at God's word, to to see ourselves uh, in light of who God is. And we're tempted to run because we realize we can't fix it ourselves. But what if, just what if the cure for our disobedient hearts wasn't inside of ourselves? Because that's what the truth of the gospel is, that Jesus had to come for us and live in our place. Thirdly, The law is a guide. So we read in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So after we've been made right with God, the law shows us how we're supposed to live in Christ. Now it's, as Dallas Willard, he says it like this, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. So what's he saying? We can be free to obey God and realize, hey, that we're going to mess up. And we're going to have to come back to him. We're going to have to repent. We can be free to do that without the condemnation that the law brings. Because the condemnation that the law brings has been bore on Calvary's cross. The condemnation is now gone. As Romans 8 1 says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So we're free to have our lives line more and more up with God's law without the condemnation that the law brings. Because Jesus has bore that on our path on our behalf. Thirdly, let's land this plane here. So we got the role of the law. The law is important in this ecosystem of covenant and uh, a grace-filled life. What's the role of the gospel? How does it restore us? What's well, in this place that we get cut down to size by the law. We realize, hey man, I am messed up. And we're tempted to run, but we don't run because God shows us that there's another way out. There's another escape hatch. It's in this substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus that that not only has he died for my sin, but he's also given me his righteousness. So not only has he taken away my sin, but he's also given me every obedient act of Jesus on my behalf. So when God looks at me, he sees me as this perfectly righteous person. And when I think about that, like I kind of blush, right? It's like, what do you mean? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. How do you see me as perfectly righteous? John Bunyan, well, this quote is typically uh, attributed to John Bunyan. Some people think maybe other people said it, but it's a really good quote. It says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. So how do we obey God? How do we live in covenant with God? Through the gospel, through the fact that Jesus unconditionally shows grace to those that will receive him. I don't care what you were doing last night or this morning or last week or how you treated that person in traffic. If you by faith believe in Jesus Christ, scriptures say you'll be saved. You are in this covenant of grace and God is making you more into his image. So how do you feel inadequate right now? That's the question. How do you feel inadequate? You know, the longer that you're a Christian... You learn to, to hide your inadequacy a little bit more, to kind of cover it up, to church it up a little, put a little makeup on it, whatever you got to do to, to cover it up. But Jesus invites us to be fully known. That's what the gospel invites us to do. That, you know, the law tears us down and it shows us how incapable we are, but the gospel builds us up. I want to, I want to conclude with reading Galatians 3, 21 through 29. This sums up all of this stuff we've been talking about. Galatians 3, 21 through 29 says this. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give me life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law and imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Do you feel like a prisoner right now? Do you feel like you've got chains on your hands and your legs, and you're walking around, and those chains are just kind of resounding in the air as you walk around? Do you feel like sin has imprisoned you? By faith, there's a way out, church. There's another way out. We have an escape hatch. His name is Jesus. We come to him in faith. There's another way. He goes on to say this. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, most of us spend our spiritual lives skipping from revival to revival and being completely unsure of how God feels about us in between those momentary experiences of nearness to God. But what God desires for us is to see that His grace is sufficient all the time. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of how bad your sin was last week, if you are coming to God in faith, we will be saved and we will be renewed. I love what Galatians 3 says when he when he when he calls those that come to him in faith sons and daughters. You see because renewal, this attitude of renewal is based on a relationship. And once someone becomes a son or a daughter, that cannot be revoked. You don't lose your status as a son or a daughter when you sin. He has come and he has made us new, he's given us new hearts and that can never be taken away from you church. So when you fall this week, when you sin this afternoon when you're leaving, or when you drop (laughs) some of this equipment on your toe and get frustrated because someone's not helping you, or whatever it would be, or when your kids don't obey like you think they should, or when you feel like your wife is nagging you, or whenever your job's not going the way that you want it to go. If you are a son and you are a daughter of Christ through faith, of God through Christ's work in faith, that can never change. So let the law do its work. Let it tear you down. Don't be afraid of that. But let the gospel build you up and walk in faith as God renews us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, uh, that while we were far off that you came near and that you entered into a relationship with us. And, and you knew before the foundation of the world that we couldn't hold our end of the bargain, but that didn't keep you from us. That didn't didn't make you turn your face from us. But instead, you offered a way out. You gave us Jesus. And in Jesus, we can walk with confidence every single day because it's not my life, it's his that's in me. And whenever our flesh creeps up and we go back to the same old man that we used to be, we come back to you in faith and you renew us. God, would New City Church be a church that does this well? Would New City Church be a church that is gracious to those that are entangled in sin because they know without you they're in the same place. I may this be an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good this morning. We're thankful, Father, for Jesus. He's all we have. It's in his name we pray, amen.